Welcome to the EO Podcast with Brett Kiesling, part of the EO Podcast Network. Hello, my friends, and thank you for listening. My name is Brett Kiesling, and as it says on my business cards, I'm a passionate advocate for employee ownership. Let me tell you a little bit about Carrie Siggins. She's the CEO of Stone Age Inc., a global leader in designing and manufacturing high-pressure water blasting and sewer cleaning tools and equipment used in the industrial cleaning industry. Stone Age has over 170 dealers in 45 countries. Carrie joined Stone Age in January of 2007 as the Director of Operations. In 2009, she was named CEO by Stone Age's Board of Directors. She's an expert strategist, and she excels at setting and executing corporate strategy and planning. Her financial acumen and discipline have led her to obtain double-digit growth year over year while maintaining 20% plus EBITDA. Under Carrie's leadership, Stone Age became an ESOP company in 2015, and her employees enjoy a strong culture of ownership and engagement. Carrie was named a top influential CEO in 2021 and was a finalist for Colorado CEO of the Year in 2017. Stone Age is recognized as a top 100 company to work for by Outside Magazine. She's dynamic, she's a sought-after speaker, she presents worldwide at corporations, universities, seminars, and conferences. Carrie hosts two podcasts, Industrial Theory and Reflect Forward. She's an author, blogger, and contributor to Forbes, Entrepreneur, and other magazines, and her blog is visited by thousands of readers, and I'm most happy to report that Carrie is with us on the podcast today. Carrie, thank you for joining me and welcome. Thanks for having me. That's quite the intro. You know, and it's quite the intro and I even left some stuff off. So for example, besides all of your other work, you're also the vice president of the Water Jet Technology Association. So you're involved in your industry, specific endeavors as well. Yeah, absolutely. Carrie, I got to know you by following you on LinkedIn. I suggest everybody do that. You do speak a lot. You share a lot of posts and you absolutely have great content that you create. So I hope people will check you out on LinkedIn. That's where I got to know you. Carrie, as you know, we tend to start our podcasts with having our guests share their EO aha moment. Not the moment when they first heard about EO or thought about EO and thought maybe it was a good idea, but the moment where they said, wow this could be transformative. Do you have an EO aha moment or two you'd care to share? Absolutely. So I have two. When I first started at Stone Age, we were already an employee-owned company, but I had no experience with employee ownership. And it was a skin in the game, invest in the company, and you get real ownership. And we paid out quarterly dividends and you got to realize the stock appreciation. It was a very real, tangible employee ownership benefit. And being young, I was only 28 when I started at Stone Age. It was brand new to me. And I was trying to figure out like, how, what does this look like? And I was working on paying off loans and saving to buy a house. I was like, oh, how much money do I really have to invest in this company? And so I did my first investment in that first year that I was there. And when I saw that first dividend check come through, I was like, wow. Oh, like this is this is what it means to be an owner. And from that moment on, I I got it. I just said this is so incredibly powerful. I have a way to truly create a different stream of wealth for myself and that I wouldn't have at any other type of company. And this was long before I knew about ESOPs and before I knew I was going to be CEO, I said, I want to be a, a big time owner in this company. So I put everything I could to, to buy as much stock as I could, being 28, trying to save for a house, get out of debt and all of those things. So 
that's when I really started to see how powerful it was. Before you share your second one, here's what yeah. I love about that, because sometimes the CEO comes on, they're the founding shareholder, perhaps sometimes, and they don't have that experience. But your experience actually is as an employee owner, to be sure. Yeah. But you had that aha moment where it affected you personally without knowing the rest of your career track. So, so that just is really, really cool. Yeah. And I think that it set our transition to an ESOP up so much better because at the time when we went to an ESOP, we had almost 90 employee shareholders, which is pretty amazing with a 125 person company. People wanted to invest in the company. They wanted to be owners. And so it helped me see the power that employee ownership has, the motivation that it creates in people. And so I knew that that I wanted to be part of an employee-owned company for my career because of that experience. Carrie, forgive me, before you get to your second moment, I was an ESOP trustee for seven years and I just had an involuntary moment of agita when you said at the time of the transaction, there were 90 shareholders. Yeah. Without going down to details, did that make it really complicated or was it pretty straightforward? We are the most unique ESOP out there. Our valuation firm, the partner there that we work with, I was just talking to him last week as we're going through continuing to buy out shareholders and our founders. And he just, he said, this is the most unique ESOP. I've never in my life, in the 20 years that I've been working in ESOPs, have, have come across an ESOP like yours. So we are very unique. <laughs> well, Carrie, I suspect that I'm going to have a follow-up question or two about that when we talk a little bit more about Stone sure. Age, and hopefully uh, you'll tell us a little bit about the journey to becoming the ESOP, which I think was 2015. But yeah. could you share before we get there, could you share your second aha moment? Absolutely. So the second aha moment came as our founders were approaching uh, their 70s and the employee ownership program that we have was diluted. Uh, the founders weren't sh selling their shares. They were issuing new stock and it was clear we needed a true succession plan, a true ownership succession plan. And so I approached them saying, you guys, we have to figure this out because if something happens to you, who really owns this company? You know, the, the machinists who've been here for 20 years, they love the feeling of ownership. They love the financial benefit of, of ownership, but they don't really want to own this company and be the largest shareholder. If something happens to the two of you, God forbid, one of you die, we have to have a true structure in place. And so we debated, do we do an, a management buyout or do we do an ESOP? And what we decided was, we wanted broad ownership. That was the most important thing to us. And being a sub S corporation, we were going to be limited to a hundred shareholders anyway. So we knew that our program wasn't going to be scalable into the future. And, uh, and the employees just didn't, weren't generating enough wealth to truly buy out the founders. And so that was when I had the aha moment about an ESOP was, Hey, this could be a, a real vehicle for ownership transfer for transfer of wealth where everybody gets to be a part of of the ownership structure not just those who have the money to invest in the company or have the risk appetite to invest into the company those are perfect symmetrical aha moments because one was hey you know we say and there's nothing wrong with it show us the money that's what employee ownership and esops are a retirement plan and there's nothing wrong with that first one as an employee owner saying i'm going to see the money but then to look at the esop as that vehicle that first of all, and i did laugh a little bit carrie when you said hey we're limited with an s corp to 100 shareholders so we really can't scale 
I, I practiced business law. I was an ESOP trustee. Like your evaluation advisor, I'm thinking it's amazing you scaled as much as you did. That really is incredible. But I love the fact that you looked at the ESOP as a solution to the succession issue, because that is always the case. Yep, absolutely. And we really couch it that way. The ESOP is an interesting benefit. It's an interesting structure, especially this day as we're recruiting and bringing on millennials and Gen Zers who just cannot even think about, okay, retirement. We did not want this to be a retirement benefit. We didn't even really want it to be a benefit when it was employee ownership skin in the game plan. It wasn't even considered a benefit because we didn't want people to feel like we were going to consider that as part of their compensation. So we were really intentional about how we talked about it, how we educated people on it, how we use it as a recruiting tool. This truly is ownership. And yes, the vehicle to be able to obtain it is through a retirement benefit, but it's your money and it's what ownership really looks like and means. It's what our founders who have you know, been the company's 43 years old, they believe in this idea of longevity, like the, the loyalty really is what has gotten them to where they are now. And so it was an interesting transition for us, but we wanted it to be a tool that we could say, you own this company, not it's a retirement benefit that we have set up for you. So that's been a very important distinction for us as we've gone through this process. It's also very relevant. I used to do kickoff meetings when I was an ESOP trustee for the new ESOPs. And I remember when I was younger, and I'm, I'm 58 now, when I was younger, I did not care about retirement at all. And even when I'd go in and, and do the kickoff meetings, you could tell the young folks uh, aren't focused on retirement. And that's you know, it's just natural, you know, we're all up to a certain point, think that we'll live forever and, you know, we'll deal with it down the road. But by, by transcending that and focusing more on the ownership itself and everything that it means, it really brings it to a, a different level. And I think a better level than just putting in a Nissan. Yeah, I totally agree. And we know that ownership in businesses is what creates wealth, right? Especially in the United States. That's what our economy is built upon. And so we teach people that this is what it looks like and means to be an owner at Stone Age. And it goes way beyond the retirement benefit. It goes into our values, how we treat each other, how we show up for our customers, because we need to create long-term value. Long-term value keeps customers loyal and you get to benefit in the success of the company. And that's why we believe in this ownership model and this ownership thinking. And, and that's how we, we talk about it. And, and I think it really resonates with people. You know, I did have a millennial tell me, uh, and I, I tease her about this all the time, and I, she really buys into the ESOP now. But when she came on board with us was through an acquisition, she said, oh, the thought of staying with a company for 30 years, it makes me want to throw up. And, you know, that is a mindset that we have to overcome because people don't think about saying their whole careers with a the company. They think that's death, right? <laughs> Career death. And so we work hard to overcome that stereotype. You know, there's lots of different opportunities that you can have in Stone Age. You can have multiple careers at Stone Age, but still stay with the company and potentially walk away with, you know, half a million dollars, a million dollars. I mean, it's all up to us to see how we scale this company. And I think you made a very important point. Everybody talks about the number of people quitting their jobs during the pandemic, and, and it's probably a little bit overblown. The fact that it's really hard to attract talent is not overblown. Right. But to me, what you just said is a very important distinction. Our perception of 
working for the same company our whole lives was based on we're going to get that job and it's either going to be on that piece of equipment or in that cubicle or wherever. And that's where you're going to be for 30 years. But the careers within the careers, you can start somewhere at Stone Age and evolve in different directions. Absolutely. I mean, I have people who started in shipping and receiving who have been at the executive management level. I have people who started in admin who you know are running production coordination. It really is a unique company in the fact that we really believe in promoting from within and we put so much into employee development. And so that's, a, I think, a really important piece of it is that no, you can do lots of different things in the company. We work hard to help people understand where their skills and talents are so we can align their roles to those skills and talents so that they feel happy and energized by their work instead of demoralized and de-energized by their work. But there's no place that people can't go within the company if they have the skill set, the capacity, the drive, you know, the willingness to learn, the willingness to self-reflect and really grow within the organization. It's me. I mean, I started as director of operations and in three years I was named CEO. You know, it's an unheard of career path, especially with my story and my background. And that's how we run this company is we want everybody to feel like they can flourish and they can grow. And sometimes they have to leave the company to go do that. We've got people who've been with the company for, for 35 years. Many people do not feel that, okay, I have to go someplace else to build wealth and to have a really fulfilling career. Carrie, tying in with what you've just said in the example that anybody can do anything, I happen to notice, and we're recording this the second week of February, but you did a blog post this week or a post on LinkedIn that I thought was excellent. And it talked about, I think one of your distributors or one of your customers who expressed surprise that a woman would be CEO of not just Stone Age, but someone in Stone Age's industry. Can yeah. you share a little bit about, first of all, I can't wait till society reaches the point where we, we no longer have to acknowledge first woman, first black, first whatever, because the barriers truly are gone. And we are generations probably away from that happening. But can you reflect a little bit about how somebody could find yourself in three years being CEO of the company? And, and that sends a powerful message. Absolutely. So I've learned a lot about what it takes to be a CEO through my journey for being a CEO. And it's definitely not cut out for everybody. But I do believe that grit is an underrated quality in people. And I think that's what got me to where I am today. I mean, obviously I've, I have a good education and I'm driven and my personality is one that connects with people really easily, which have all helped contribute to my success. But it really comes down to my determination to succeed no matter what, um, which has its dark side too, uh, which I have learned a lot about um, my dark side. But yeah, I think that I got to where I am because I'm a really hard worker and I am willing to look at myself and say, okay, I'm not great at this. Do I need to be great at it? Yes, then go get great at it. Do I need to be great at this? No. Okay, hire somebody who's really great at that so that you have this amazing team. And I have learned how to let go of my ego and my attachment to having to be everything for everybody and really just focus on being really good at what I'm good at. And I think that's what got me through that comment that a customer made to me in my early days when he said, you know, a, a person who is in technical is not going to make it in this industry. I mean, first of all, I was like, okay, I graduated from Colorado School of Mines. I'm technical. So, you know, but I didn't use it as motivation to prove him wrong. I used it as motivation to prove to myself 
that I could do it and really digging deep and saying, okay, what do I need to do to prove myself in this industry that I have what it takes to run a company in industrial cleaning? And I'm going to go do those things. So I learned about our products. I learned about our customers. I made bold moves in the industry. I talk about the, the things that Stone Age is all about, you know, our employee owners and our commitment to innovation and the fact that we give like really ridiculously good service. And, uh, and then I think that once that everybody saw like, okay, one, the founders are supporting her. And two, like she's actually doing this. She's actually doing this. That's not been part of the conversation, but it is pure grit. I think that got me to where I am today and what helped me overcome that really quite devastating comment uh, early in my days at Stone Age. It is an unfortunate aspect of human nature and there are added dimensions to it when people break barriers. But the needing to prove oneself is unfortunate and happens all the time. And to some extent, and I'm one, Carrie, who looks for gratitudes, you know, thank God somebody verbalized what a couple of people were probably saying anyway, because it gave you the focus as painful as it was. Yeah. to be able to overcome that. So you said a couple of things that were interesting and, and I too want to get to a little bit about Stone Age and, and, and what you do. But before, as you've talked about your own grid and you've talked about overcoming the darker impulses, I think is what you had said. When you talk about hiring the people and setting aside your own ego, there's a lot of that that ties into servant leadership. And I think what employee ownership in a different segment or even a couple of decades, a decade back before you started, you would have just been in it for Kerry Siggins. What Absolutely. Kind of celebrity CEO would you have? We have them throughout history, but your success really is tied to the success of those around you. Totally, totally. Before I came onto Stone Age, I was cared about Carrie Siggins' success. That's part of the dark part of this grit, this pure determination, is that a lot of times when you have that, you put yourself first. And early in my career, um, I absolutely did that. And I was always trying to prove that I was successful, prove that I was smart enough to be at the table, you know, prove that I could do anything. And it actually led to a pretty bad drug addiction. And in 2006, Labor Day weekend, Labor Day of 2006, I actually um, overdosed. And that was when I realized my whole life flashed before my eyes as I'm laying on the floor of my apartment. I'm in Austin, Texas, and I couldn't go to work for three days. And I'm successful. I'm a professional, but I couldn't get out of bed for three days as I nursed myself through this. And that's when I realized all I was doing was putting myself first. All I was doing was caring about what happened to Carrie Siggins. And here I was on the floor of my apartment in my bed nobody calling on me, the thousands of friends that I have in Austin, no one calling to check on me because they just assumed I was at work. And I realized this is what happens when you are a selfish person, a selfish leader. And I decided that's it. I'm changing my life forever. I am not going to be this person. And so I called my mother and I told her everything. I was 27 years old and she said, come home. And that's in Durango where Stone Age is. And I spent that next three months diving into who I was. Like, Why am I such a jerk? Why am I so self-centered? Why do I feel this need to be recognized and to put myself first? And, and I went down this whole exploratory path and I really began to understand myself a lot deeper. 
Well, then this opportunity of Stone Age comes around. And to be quite honest, it saved my life. But here I had this opportunity to step into the leadership skills, the leadership talent that I knew that I had and make it about everybody else because we're all owners, right? It's not going to be me at the top of the company someday doing things like, no, every single person is going to get to share in the success. And I saw that there was this whole different way of leading, of being, of thinking about my career, of thinking about my compensation. And uh, and it was such a powerful combination, right? Of me recovering from an overdose and saying, that's it, I'm changing my life and then having this opportunity. And I swore I was never gonna go back to being that person because it wasn't really who I was. I was fulfilling this egotistical need to be seen as something that I wasn't. And interestingly enough, when I started exposing my flaws to myself and to other people, I began to see that all of those things that I wanted, I was going to get naturally by just being me, by being a kind human being, rather than just pretending, putting on this imposter syndrome, trying to show the world that I was something that I really wasn't. So that was a long-winded story, but that's uh, that's how I got there. And that's why I so believe in Stone Age and so believe in employee ownership. Carrie, you don't know this. Uh, we, we've met for the first time on this phone call. I've shared it a little bit in my podcast, but I don't talk about it a whole lot because it's not the purpose of my podcast. But I went to rehab at the age of 22 for drugs and alcohol and uh, sobered up for good at the age of 27. So I went and got some education and I went out and uh, hung out doing, uh, uh, doing what to do for another five years. And as you were talking, first of all, thank you for sharing that. And, and the reason I bring it up from time to time is, is people don't realize that almost everybody has something that they have overcome. And some of it makes us very uncomfortable to talk about. I don't love saying I'm an alcoholic and, and, and drug addict in recovery, but I love the fact that when I say those words, somebody's going to hear it and say, I am also. Uh, so there's the power of that. And, and, and I appreciate it because uh, although it doesn't necessarily feel brave to those of us who, who speak about it, it, it is. It's, it's that thing, but it also, and I don't want to be superficial about it, but, but just looking at the steps of recovery and, and, and not to go down that path, there's a whole lot of employee ownership in that. We all are in this together. Absolutely. There, there is something, you know, the whole concept of the higher power and God and that sort of thing is there is something bigger than ourselves. And that's what you were just talking about. Exactly. Exactly. Totally, totally, totally agree. That's why it, it's why I believe in it so much. It's why I am so incredibly grateful to Stone Age. I'm so loyal to this company. But the thing that was the biggest turning point, not just the opportunity, but it was this whole idea of I get to be part of something really unique and something that benefits all of us. And a hundred percent, I wholeheartedly believe that I am part of something much, much bigger than myself from the business world which is, it has to happen. Business leaders have to tackle these problems that we're facing. And what better platform to be able to do that through the, the lens of employee ownership. So I, I know that I'm part of something bigger and that I'm also creating and driving something that's bigger than all of us too in the business. That is so cool. Let me, if you can, just give us a little bit. We've referenced Stone Age a little bit and I talked in terms of being industrial thingy, but, but let's just tell us a little bit about Stone Age so the listeners know. 
Yeah. So we basically make squirt guns on steroids. <laughs> That's the best way to put it. <laughs> Excellent. So, you know, high pressure water blasting tools. The first tool that the founders created was actually used for, as a water jet drill in the uranium mining industry. And that was in the 70s. And then the nuclear meltdown happened at Three Mile Island. And all nuclear power generation ceased to exist at that time. And so they said, hey, we got to figure out what to do with this. And a contractor said, if you can drill holes and rocks with that thing, maybe you can clean the plastic out of this heat exchanger. And, and so that's how we pivoted from mining in the early days into industrial cleaning. But basically it uses our tools, use the power of water to rotate the tool and clean. So just to give a little context, the pressure coming out of a nozzle at a car wash is about 700 PSI. Enough to take dirt off, but not paint. Like sometimes take dirt off. I don't know. The car washes around here do not take dirt off my car, but it doesn't take the paint off. Our tools start at 2,500 PSI and go all the way up to 40,000. So ultra high pressure water. So just to give some context about what that power is really doing. And now we're on a mission to transform from a manufacturing company into a technology company. And we make robotic cleaning equipment. We just uh, acquired an IoT product development company. So now we have products that are creating and collecting data. And we've got some really cool things that are coming down the pipeline as we build more services into our offering and make more than just the, the water blast tools. That is so cool. And I love the fact that your products are very critical in other manufacturing processes. You the know, world so. would not, totally, the world would not go around without industrial cleaning. And it's such a niche thing and people don't know about it. And to be honest, our industry is looked down upon by many, but the world would not go around without people cleaning sewers, without cleaning refineries, without cleaning chemical plants, without cleaning plastic plants with rubber, food processing, shipyards, literally water blasting is done everywhere. So you would not be enjoying all the things that you enjoy if Stone Age didn't invent the products that makes cleaning really effective, really easy, safer, because everything, all that production equipment has to be clean to be able to get the things that we use every day. That is very cool. Yeah. So you became an ESOP in 2015. You're yep. still paying off some of the original shareholders, I think you had said, but yep. you're also starting to now see where at least some of your folks are a year or two into being fully vested in the ESOP. Yeah. Well, interestingly, for all employees who were working for us on January 1st, 2015, they were immediately grandfathered into the ESOP. And we did that because we had this skin in the game program and we had used it as a recruiting tool. And so now several people who maybe had just started buying stock or were going to buy stock that year now didn't have the opportunity. So we said, that's fine. We want to celebrate everybody who was here, who went down this journey with us. So everyone, 2015 prior, you're fully vested. So that was a really cool thing to do. I think it immediately made the ESOP real for all the people who were no longer going to be investing in the company and getting that stock appreciation through buying more stock. So that helped with the transition from going to a skin in the game kind of program to now it's more of an entitlement benefit is having that fully vested period. A lot of times when someone, when a company converts into a new ESOP, it's not unusual that they need a 180 degree culture shift or, you know, that there was no culture, that sort of thing. How much 90 of the folks had skin in the game through the, the stock ownership plan. 
how much of a culture shift had to come about when it became an ESOP or was it just kind of moving things along on a path that you had been on? Yeah, it moved things along on the path we had been on, partly because at that time we gave people the opportunity to sell stock, but many of us didn't. I mean, I never sold stock until just this year because we're really pushing to get to be 100% ESOP. And so it was still real to those of us who had our money invested in the company because we paid distributions every quarter until... Well, the last one was in December of, of this year, which we planned out. We wanted to try to balance current shareholders with ESOP shareholders and future ESOP shareholders. So we tried to create a program that made it as equitable as possible. So I think for a lot of people, they were getting money or getting stock and cash into their ESOP, but they also still had their stock. And so I think that really helped with the transition. But it was trying to explain to new employees what the ESOP was really about. That's where we had to spend some time. The other piece that came into this was our ESOP is an incredibly rich benefit, partly because of how we paid so much distributions that the ESOP got that too. All of a sudden I'm going, okay, we have some people who are generating some pretty significant wealth fast. We better make sure that we're dealing with performance issues and that when someone walks away with, you know, a quarter of a million dollars, that, that was like, hey, I'm really glad that person walked away with a quarter of a million dollars. So we really started to talk about what performance looked like at Stone Age, what ownership thinking looked at at Stone Age. And so then we created the Own It Mindset, which is our set of principles and behaviors that we operate by, because it makes it really easy to have a conversation with somebody who's not performing to say, look, this is how we're going to measure what success looks like here at this company and, and how you're contributing to the overall success of the company and how you make your teammates feel when you work with them and how you lead yourself. And so we never had that before because the skin in the game kind of program just made it easy. So transition really forced us to get our values, our our whole, our mindset down around what employee ownership means at Stone Age so that everybody understands what the expectations are and how they're going to be measured. That I think is the single biggest transition and most impactful thing that we did a couple of years after we transitioned to an ESOP. Let me see if you can answer a question that gets posed to me a lot by CEOs or, or shareholders who are considering an ESOP. And one of the biggest resistance pieces that I hear is somebody's got to be in charge. First of all, they misunderstand that there are still job descriptions, but they also say like during the pandemic, what if you got to change things on a dime and you've got to make decisions and I can't possibly deal with all of these employee owners. And I'm posing you the question because it seems to me that you have come through the pandemic and you've said you're transitioning to a technology company. So for those who say you can't change major strategy or change the direction or somebody needs to be in charge, could you as a CEO explain why they're not looking at it right? Yes. Employee ownership isn't a democracy. People just get to vote on every decision you make. Now, there's a, a board of directors who is overseeing the trust. You have a trustee who is responsible for the trust. So there's a, a lot of accountability that happens there at the top. And then the CEO or president who's ever running the company is still running the company. And there's only six things that employee shareholders get to vote on. And those are all major events. So I look at my style and how we run things is we are a very collaborative and con and a consultative organization. We collaborate. That's part of our values. I consult. I get input. I ask people ideas. I get so much better 
input when I go out and ask questions. And I make way better decisions when I ask people who think about things differently than me. But then I'm still ultimately responsible for making the decisions and running the company and setting strategy. And if we make mistakes, the buck stops with me. And so I think it's a really unique opportunity for for leaders, business leaders, founders, CEOs to create a culture where people have a voice, where they know that their opinion matters, but it doesn't mean that their opinion is going to be you know, the direction that we go. It's going to be incorporated. If it's not, we're going to talk about why. And that's why people love working in Stone Age. It's not because every one of their ideas gets to be implemented or every one of their opinions is sets us on a new direction. It's that someone cares enough to ask. And so I don't think that I would run this company any differently than I would run another, a non-employee owned company uh, because everybody deserves to be asked their opinion and give their input. And the CEO is still responsible for making the decisions and setting the direction of the company. And I like that and tying it back to what you had said earlier, where you had talked about giving up control and your (laughs) ego wanting to, needing to know that it's okay to let other people be experts at what they're doing. But it's, it's what crystallized for me, what you were speaking is giving up control isn't giving up responsibility. Nor is it giving you the, giving up the ability for you to do what you have to do in your job to execute the responsibilities that you have. Exactly. Exactly. And I think people are so afraid. Leaders are so afraid of asking their employees, like, what do you think? What do you think? And that's part of the reason why we're seeing this mass exodus of people leaving their jobs is because, well, one, maybe they're just not paid enough. Like there's a lot of service jobs out there that are really tough and, and I get it. But people who are leaving their positions in corporate America are leaving because they do not feel valued. They do not feel like work environment is fair. They don't feel like their boss cares about them. You know, that is, those are easy things to fix. That has nothing to do with ownership structure. Luckily, the employee ownership model and the way that we do things feeds that together so well because we want people to think and act like owners. Truly, we want people to think and act like owners. But anybody can follow this model, whether you're employee owned or not, and still create ownership thinking within your organization by simply starting to ask people their opinions and letting people have autonomy in their jobs to make decisions and make an impact. There are three things that I've said that everybody wants in their jobs, regardless employee owned or not. They want to be fairly compensated. That does not mean exquisitely compensated. They want to be fairly compensated. They want to feel like they're doing something that matters. And whether that's the server bringing somebody a meal or somebody at Stone Age perfecting the piece of equipment that's going to help other industries do their thing, they want to feel like they are uh, doing something that matters and they want to feel a part of something. And that comes with being able to have a voice and that does transcend employee owned or not employee owned. And that's very special if you're able to do that at Stone Age. Yeah, we are. It really is remarkable. We just did a belonging series with a company called 747 Club and they have a gratitude experience, which we did last year, a one-time thing. It really, how do you embrace gratitude in, in difficult times? And we brought them back to do this belonging series with us. And it's about how are we, each of us as individuals responsible for creating a culture where people feel like they can fit in and belong, no matter what their background is, where they come from, what their ideas are. We want people to feel like they belong. And so the the CEO of this company, Chris Shembra, who was leading us through this, 
you know, we, we have breakout sessions and we come back and we put in the chats, how we feel. And afterwards he said, he came to me and he said, Carrie, I just have to say, you are my favorite company to work with. Your employees are so engaged and they like lean into vulnerability and self-awareness and they're so reflective. And I, I just can't believe it. Like they really get this. They really feel like they own this company. And I was just like almost had tears in my eyes. It was so excited. I was like, yes, like we're doing this where people feel I, I am so grateful that I am challenged every day, that I work with these amazing people, that my boss cares about me, that I get to have a say in how my work is done. And it just came through so loud and clear through this program that we really have created a place where most of our employees truly feel like they belong. And there is nothing that I am more proud of than that. Not all of our financial success, not all of the cool technology things that we're doing. No, we are truly creating a place where people feel like they can belong and they can feel valued and appreciated for what they do every day. That's the focus I think businesses need to have. If you do that, then your financial success, that is much easier. I'm glad you said that because one of the things and the culture and the engagement that I'm focused on so much in the podcast now actually came about while I was the trustee and responsible for valuations. And there were 180 valuations, either new transactions or ongoing. And I'm just absolutely convinced and I've got the hard data to back it up that the engaged employees, the ones who quote unquote, feel good about their jobs, all of the language that I thought was fluffy in the first three decades of my career makes the business more profitable. If people want to go to work, if people want to keep their jobs, if people want to be there, they're going to stick around longer and that's going to make it more profitable. So I will tell you a story of this. This is such a great example. In February of 2020, right before the pandemic hit, we had an encryption attack, a ransomware attack, and all of our IT systems were shut down and everything was en encrypted. Luckily, one backup of our ERP system wasn't, which saved us. But when we figured this out, I called 25 of my employees in on a Sunday morning and I said, we have to figure out how to make sure our customers don't feel the thing. It's our busiest time of year. We need to make sure we deliver. They are relying on us. And so we put together a process for manually shipping orders out of our facility in Durango keeping track of everything. Employees from all areas of the company had a role to play in the entire process, no matter what was on your job description. And we did it. We missed four orders. It was, we had the biggest shipping week of our history. Uh, and we, yes, uh, and we, we kept it all organized. So that way, when we came back up on our ERP system, it was as easy as it could have been to go in and manually upload what had happened for that four weeks when we were down. The camaraderie, the teamwork, the brilliant ideas, the course correcting, you know, as we figured out this is working, this isn't working, we need to change. And you know, we had it all hands at the end of every day and we talked about, okay, here's what we're going to tweak to make this a little bit better. It was incredible. I, I cried multiple times throughout this week, not just from dealing with the hackers, but from <laughs> the sense of pride. <laughs> that I felt uh, watching my employees 
do this. They wouldn't have done that if they were employee owners, if they didn't care about the company as deeply as I did, as deeply as the founders did. You know, they made it happen. They made it happen. I do not believe we would have been able to come out of it as successfully as we did if we would not have been an employee-owned company. People pulled off heroics in that four weeks. Carrie, I actually get chills from time to time and I'm having them now because the data shows how employee-owned companies fared during the pandemic. It started as anecdote and now there's enough actual research there that it's just breathtaking the way people came together. And you're absolutely right. And this, this is just my opinion and just my belief. Maybe they still would have come in if Carrie Siggins owned the company and just ordered them to report. But they came in with a better sense of purpose, more important to each of them personally, because they literally had the skin in the game through employee ownership. And it's just, I do get goosebumps when I just think about how people stood up. Because again, they were standing up as individuals so they could all stand together. Yeah. Yeah, it was remarkable. It was truly remarkable. And, you know, we we did it for our teammates. We did it for the company. There, no one wanted to pay the hackers. I mean, you know what? when I stood in there that Monday morning at 8 o'clock and I shared what I knew and what I didn't know, and I said, but here is what's going to pull us together. You know, teamwork, making sure our customers don't feel a thing. And we are not going to pay those hackers. And literally the company, everybody stood up and they cheered, you know, they're like, no, it's screws guys, you know, we're not paying them. And I mean, it was just so cool. It was, it's just, I love them so much. I just, I can't say enough about my team. I mean, it just makes me emotional about them now. They just make me a better leader. They make each other a better teammates. So cool to see what we do at Stone Age. It's remarkable. It's like no other organization. And I've, I've been in a lot. I'm on boards. I advise companies. I've been everywhere. There's just nothing that that's quite like what we do at Stone Age. And it's all because we're employee owners. I love that. I do have to ask, did you end up paying the hackers? Did you get back online? Did you? Excellent. I I sold my share in the trustee business in 2019. And and there are just certain things that I'm glad I haven't had to deal with as a (laughs) fiduciary, including, you know, even as a trustee, I'm imagining... Oh, yeah. That's a that's a risky bet you were making on some level, you know, uh, but uh, uh, not to be trite. Don't negotiate with terrorists. And that's what. Oh, no, are. I mean, no, uh, we hired a professional negotiation firm and, you know, just to keep them going on. Well, we tried to figure out, like, what do we do? And you know, the goal was never because that, that does all it does is just encourage them to keep doing it for to the next person. So now we really, really did not want to pay them. We did everything that we could and we survived it and we learned a lot. In fact, it's one of the the best things that's ever happened to the company, which is weird to say, but the way that it pulled us together, the way that we figured out that, you know, we can solve our problems through anything and it made us tighten up our IT infrastructure and we are such a much stronger, better company for it today. So, you know, sometimes there's just, there's good things to come out of every crisis. And even though it was hard and it cost us some money, I learned so much about it. I learned about my employees. They learned a lot about themselves. It, it was an invaluable lesson. I wouldn't take it back, to be honest with you. What we gained out of it, I wouldn't take it back. And it's good, obviously, that it worked out that way because some yeah. don't have that happy experience or no. or. But it's also your your attitude, and that's come through this whole conversation where some of the biggest challenges in our lives can allow us to move forward the best, you know, if uh, one has the ability to frame them that way. So, Carrie, I want to move on to some of the other things that you are doing. But before we do, Stone Age sounds like it's a great place to work. 
Not that on the podcast, you talk about specific positions because they will change in time, but what types of people are a good fit for Stone Age or who are the types of people that you hope would reach out and, and why would they want to work at Stone Age? Oh. Oh, well, the cool thing is we're a global company. So we've got offices in Europe and we've got salespeople all over the world and this IoT product development company that we're transforming into a, a SaaS company as well in Reno. So we've got all kinds of really cool opportunities. Getting ready to do a couple other acquisitions this year as well. So we're growing and definitely adding a lot of different types of roles, new roles to us. So it's an exciting time to, to be at Stone Age, but we are engineers at our core. We love solving problems. And so I would say first and foremost, we want people who love to solve problems too, who are motivated by having tough challenges, by figuring things out, who you know want to grow their skills, grow themselves as people. That is the underlying baseline of, I think, the type of people who we want to work for us. People who value having great relationships with their teammates, even in the hard stuff. People who are self-aware, self-reflective, and people who really are motivated by solving customer problems, right? Understanding who our customers are. So that's like the type of persona that I think does really well at Stone Age. Types of positions, I mean, engineering, for sure. Mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, firmware engineering, software engineering, manufacturing engineering. We're engineers. We love engineers. So I think almost any type of engineer with the exception of like civil could find a job at, at Stone Age. And then we do all of our core functions, the core headquarter functions here in Durango. So you know, accounting, controller, IT positions. We're doing a big digital transformation project, moving to e-commerce, building a whole customer experience platform. So we have technology positions that we'll be adding to the team. And as we make this transition to a technology company, sales, and we're moving to really selling solutions as a service. So not just widget sales. So, you know, people who really understand how to create that kind of customer relationship that can sell a recurring type product rather than a widget. We, we're a full service company and really almost any type of background or any type of skill set we need on the team. I love that. And it probably helps if you're in engineering, if your wiring is the such that you would take the simple, gentle squirt gun and turn it into a high-powered, very <laughs> dangerous machine, then that might be the kind of playground that uh, Stone Age will bring to you. I mean, we're not a like sit behind your desk and engineer things kind of company. Our engineers get out into the field with our customers. That's how they design products that have never been used before. So definitely people who like hands-on, who really want to understand solving customer problems. That's the kind of engineer we want. It's pretty creative. I love that. Harry, let me ask, we have covered Stone Age and we've talked a lot about your journey, but there's an entire segment with you that we haven't gotten to, and that's your career as an author, a podcaster, and some of the other leadership development things that you do. Uh, if it's okay with you, can we bring this episode to a close and bring you back for another? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Carrie, thank you so much to everyone listening. I hope you'll check out our website. We'll carry a variety of things. You can find Stone Age. If you're looking for work, I seriously suggest you check the company out. I'm very grateful to Carrie for joining me today and to you for listening. Thank you so much for joining me. This is Brett Kiesling. Be well. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook at EO Podcast Network and on Twitter at ESOP Podcast. This podcast has been produced by Brett Kiesling for the EO Podcast Network. Production assistance by Victoria Huerta. Original music composed by Max Kiesling. Branding and marketing by Bitsy Plus Design. And I'm Bitsy McCann.